Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me on a, what is this, Friday now? I can't even keep track of it, days anymore. I know, time doesn't matter. <laughs> it is Friday, that Friday afternoon now. We're in like this weird time warp where like yeah. normal days just kind of melt into one another. And I'm essentially working seven days a week now anyway, not necessarily at one job, but it's something I'm working mm-hmm. every day. That's so. what I'm doing too. I mean, I'm not for like... For school work stuff, not for like work work stuff. But anyway, neither here nor there. Yeah, I'm desperately trying to finish this book, and it's just Is this the one you're gonna send me. Yes, sweet. And it's just I'm doing some research on some different things that I want to incorporate, and so it's just taking me a little bit longer because I'm doing more research on this than I've probably ever done on any of my other books. Mm. So <laughs> nice, because it's my first like murder mystery kind of a novel. So I just want to make sure it's like legit, like backed up with sound facts and yeah good stuff rather than just guessing or yeah. using my expertise from the podcast <laughs> <laughs> what we've learned thus yeah, far. but there's some stuff about podcasting in it too so nice I was able to incorporate a little bit of like my firsthand knowledge from a bunch of different things so it should be interesting I'm hoping I'm aiming to have it done by the end of the month oh nice okay I'm excited yeah so I, I just need to get all the chapters written in like all the basic content and then I'm probably going to spend about two or three weeks editing so I go through and just read everything line by line and just read for grammar read for spelling read for ideas read for concepts timelines all that and Mm -hmm. be good to go nice but today I gave plasma for the first time ever did you I did I was reading somewhere online I can't remember where I was reading it but that there was a need like we have, a, we have a shortage of blood and plasma, so mm. they were encouraging people to go donate. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, let me go see what this is all about. Yeah, you can give plasma every seven days, I think. No, you can give it every 48 hours. Like oh, can you? You, you can't oh. give it any more than twice a week, but you can okay. give it twice in a week, but you can't do it more than every 48 hours. Oh, okay. Because I know like blood is like every eight weeks. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but no, plasma because what you can get more frequently. What they do, and you probably already know this, but for the listeners, is like you go in and I can't, I can give it today and then I can't give again until Sunday. And mm-hmm. they keep everything tracked through this computer system with your face and your social security number, your fingerprint, so that you can't trick the system. Mm-hmm. And it goes into a national database, so you can't go to a bunch of different clinics and, and donate and try to take advantage of it. But essentially, what you do is you go in and they hook you up to this machine and they uh, put a needle in your arm and they take your blood out. And they pull the plasma from the blood and they put this anti kind of coagulation stuff into it and then they pump it back into you. How does that feel? I've heard it feels weird. I didn't really oh, feel really? it. Like okay. I felt like, I felt, you know, I knew that, you know, it kind of hurt the needle prick in my arm or whatever. And I felt a little bit lightheaded, but that was more because I hadn't eaten anything all day. Because mm-hmm. I usually fast until dinner time and I have like one meal a day and then maybe mm-hmm. a little snack later. But, um, I had had some caffeine, which you're not really supposed to do. You're supposed to stay really well hydrated. You're not supposed to have caffeine. You're supposed to eat before you come in. There's mm-hmm. just a whole lot of requirements. And so they tested me and my body temperature was like one and a half degrees lower than the average person. I was mm-hmm. like shaking the entire time I was there because I was freezing cold and my iron was really low. It wasn't low mm-hmm. enough to where they could kick me out of the testing, but it was like right on the border. Yeah, I used to, when I was in San Diego, I lived around the corner from um, the San Diego Blood Bank, and I used to donate, like, on the dot every eight weeks, but I got to the point where I wasn't able to go, but, like, every 
10 weeks or so because my iron was too low because I don't eat like beef and stuff. So I don't get a lot of iron in my diet. So, um, they gave me a list, like they're like, here, here's what you can do to, and surprisingly, a lot of it wasn't eat meat. I mean, meat, yeah. eat meat was on the list, but there was, you know, eat spinach, mm-hmm. you know, eat which broccoli, coniferous yep. vegetables, like, um, you can take supplements, you, you know, they give me a list of all kinds supplements of different things. Don't, um, you know, our friend Erica, the chiropractor from volleyball, um, mm-hmm. I actually talked with her about it and she's, and supplements don't. And iron supplements don't tend to take well. They don't absorb into your body well. But she yeah. did tell me that blackstrap molasses is really good. That's where I learned that. And so it tastes horrible to just have a spoonful yeah, by yourself. Awful. But yeah. it's really good to put a spoonful in your coffee. I don't drink coffee. So you don't <laughs> that's drink coffee? Oh, my gosh. No, I don't. Jeez. Well, um, anybody out there who needs more iron in their diet, blackstrap molasses in your coffee is delicious. Yeah, I'll do like the green coffee bean extract, like in different oh. things, but I don't, I can't drink coffee. It oh, just, man. the taste just makes me want to gag. Oh, I love coffee. And second of all, the acid, mm-hmm. if I have like just the tiniest bit of it, it gives me the worst acid reflux oh. in the freaking universe. It's awful. Oh, that's a bummer. I love so, coffee. It's like a it's, comforting taste to me at this point. I tried so hard. I tried really yeah. hard. I'm from Seattle, so like my whole family drinks coffee. Everybody I know drinks coffee, and I was like, I feel left out. Yeah. <laughs> so I tried really hard. And then when I was in law school, I'm like, let me just give this another shot because I was studying for the bar exam, mm-hmm. and I was just super, super tired. And no, couldn't do it. Mm, that's a bummer. <laughs> do you do tea? I'll drink green tea occasionally, but like what I like for my caffeine is I have these green juice, like powdered green juice mixes uh-huh. that have like probiotics and vitamins oh, okay. and minerals and they have green tea extract in them too so it gives oh, you okay. that caffeine kick without having to have coffee and it's a, like a healthier version because it's green tea extract right. so no sugar yeah. all the good stuff you need although i don't know how well those really work those powders. green tea extract is supposed to be good for like fat burning but the problem with stuff like that is it's not this is not on the topic for anything today, but just FYI, the, the, the problem with stuff like that, like supplements and stuff like that, they're not regulated by the FDA. So you don't actually know that what you're getting is what is on the label. Yeah. Like they, there could be more that's in there or there could be not any, not what they're saying is in there. It's just it's completely unregu- unregulated. There and- yeah. <laughs> so, um, oh, well. I mean, green tea extract is pretty safe, but, um, but green, in, in general, green tea doesn't have that much caffeine in it. It's not like black tea has more caffeine in it. But yeah. But so, if you only I mean, if you're drink, very sensitive to caffeine, like if you don't have normally drink it, yeah, then like no, that would be I'm enough. Pretty yeah. sensitive to it. Like, yeah. But I do like chai tea. But I have to be oh, real careful. I love chai. I can only drink like a small cup of it, and it has to be mixed with something because it, otherwise it's just too strong. Oh but, my gosh, I love like an iced chai. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, chai tea latte. Ooh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> anyway. Um, those sorts of things, little yeah. personal t- tidbits about the both of us. Yeah. And it's just, things have been very chaotic lately with work and things like that. So I've been just running extra super duper, like exhausted. Like I have mm-hmm. to take a nap every day now. And I was just like concerned and worried and like, why am I so tired? Like what is going on? Went in and it turns out my thyroid is pretty much Uh-oh. not working. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've gained like 30 pounds in like two months. And I was like, I don't understand why. Like I'm not eating any differently. And I yeah. basically I'm working out. I'm running three days a week and lifting at least three days a week. Yeah. And like my fitness 
has been just better than it's ever been. I'm getting stronger and I've gained all this weight. And I just was like, what is going on? And the doctor's like, yeah, no, we need to get you on thyroid medication immediately. Mm. I have a friend that just went through that same thing. She just got tested and her thyroid is um, underactive. Yeah, what's crazy is that I got tested in February and it was normal. Really? And just from February to freaking August, hmm. it like, and the thing is, if you have been athletic your whole life and which I have been, you know, competitive volleyball player, runner, lifter, all that kind of stuff. And you have a lot of stress and you drink because drinking screws your thyroid up. Um, eating a lot of sugar will screw mm-hmm. your thyroid up. Like in the combination of those things, mm-hmm. overwork at overworking out and alcohol stress and all those things combined that just essentially yeah. just knock your thyroid on it. Yeah. But so, I mean, and that's something for, you know, the medical podcast, but <laughs> in any case, it's well, hopefully really the medicine me. helps. And my hair's it? been falling out too. Really? Like, I was like, what in the heck is it? Going I wonder on? if that's the anemia. It could be. So now I know like there's certain things that I need to do to like get this yeah. squared away and in shape again. And you know, I'm sure the listeners out there can totally identify it is a very stressful time right now for yeah. everybody for like a variety of different reasons. And then, you know, are we going to get another stimulus check? Like just for everyone out there that's listening, we don't get paid for this podcast. So we're not big ballers. Right. <laughs> Definitely. And Darcy's a student. So I'm sitting in my closet, my, of my one bedroom apartment right now. So <laughs> yeah. So we're yeah. not fabulously wealthy as much as I would love to be, but right? I'm not. So I'm playing the lotto, so, you know, I know I'm hoping I'm going to strike it big as an author and get a multi-million dollar book deal, which, you know, who knows if that'll happen or not. I'm trying to keep, stay positive about it. You can throw some bucks my way. I'll be your researcher. (laughs) Right. For real. Today, I've got a really interesting topic and we have kind of touched on this several times before, just in a very kind of minor way, but I found this case and it was super interesting to me. So I, I want to break into this and talk about it again. And I got a lot of the research from a New York Times article, and I'll put all these sources into the show notes. And there was a podcast on the criminal podcast about it. Mm-hmm. When it came out, it was called Either Or. Phoebe Judge kind of covered off on it. She did it in a different sort of a way. She kind of talked about the case behind it, the detective that worked at the different people that were involved. But I'm going to talk about more focusing on the case. But we're going to talk about I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let you guess as I start talking about the case, Ooh, what okay. we're going to get into here. Cause it is just, I heard this and I was just one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Cause I was just blown away. That this was a thing. Okay. But listener discretion is advised on this one because there is some brutal sexual assault that Uh-oh. happened in this particular case. But the center of this was in Anderson, South Carolina. Okay. Um, Anderson is also called the electric city because it was one of the first cities in the South to have electric electricity. Hmm. Um, and it's about 120 miles from Atlanta and about 140 miles from Charlotte. It is the smallest of three primary cities. And it's also considered the friendliest city in South Carolina. Really? So it's got this reputation. It's a very small kind of a town and the population has dropped really since this case happened in the eighties. But okay. this particular case happened in 1983 at a Days Inn Motel in Anderson, South Carolina. So at 2 a.m., the police were called to come investigate a very brutal assault on a 23-year-old woman named Elizabeth Daniel. She had been raped by three men. Jesus. And some of the sources say she's 24, just FYI, and some of them said 23, So, but I'm just going to go ahead and say 23. 
But one of the men that was involved in this case, his name was Roscoe Brown, and he was an acquaintance of Elizabeth Daniels. So this isn't just a random sort of occurrence. He was also the father of her child. Okay. At the time that this happened, Brown was actually married to someone else when Daniel got pregnant. So Elizabeth went to this motel sort of under the auspices that she was meeting Roscoe Brown to kind of talk about the child and like the situation. I believe was she, she currently pregnant or she had already had no, the No, she had the baby, so they had a okay. child together. So okay. she kind of suspected that he was going to break up with her, break things off, tell her, you know, we can't do this anymore. Right. Or, you know, they were just going to have this rendezvous at this hotel because he was married, you know. Right. When Elizabeth goes to the motel, she thinks she's just meeting up with Roscoe Brown. And there's actually two other men there when she gets there. And when I read the articles and the case and everything, it's not exactly clear whether they like grabbed her and pulled her into the room or whether she went into the room thinking, Oh, you know, there's other people here. We're just going to mm-hmm. party and drink a little bit. Cause it was alcohol there. And they were just kind of, I think implying that they were all just going to hang out and party for a little bit, that mm-hmm. it was just kind of a chill environment. But police suspected that she went there with the intent to kind of talk to him about child support for their child. Okay. Um, but when she got there, the men were all intoxicated, and what happened next, they believe, was intended to kind of discredit her and blacken her reputation. But once the men got drunk, they all had sexual intercourse with Miss Daniels, and who knows if she was even, you know, coherent at that point in order to be able to give consent or not, but it does not appear that she was. And the men then took a one-half-gallon whiskey bottle that they had consumed before they all had sexual intercourse with this woman, and they inserted the bottle into her. Jesus. Yeah. And this did, like, huge, major and significant damage to Elizabeth Daniel. And this was evidenced by there was just a huge amount of blood in the hotel room and on her and they brutalized her and left her bleeding and dying on the floor of the Days Inn Motel. In addition to raping and violating her with that whiskey bottle, they burned her all over her body with cigarette lighters. What is it you want me to guess about this? Just wait, I'm getting there. Okay. Um, it's gonna, it, you're gonna get it about halfway through. So okay. once all the assailants left, Elizabeth crawled into the hotel lobby and called out for help. I don't know why she didn't call for something from the phone in the hotel, but this was 1983. Maybe they didn't have a phone in the hotel room. I'm not exactly sure, but they pulled her into the hotel chair and she literally like soaked the chair with blood and almost died because she was losing so much blood. She actually ended up losing four pints of blood and they had burned her all over her body with cigarette lighters, as I mentioned earlier. And the local news reports called it six hours of unbelievable brutality. So they did this over the course of six hours to this poor woman. And Anderson is a super small town. The population is around 30,000. And for this reason, the police located the three suspects like super quick. Mm -hmm. And the suspects were Roscoe Brown, Mark Vaughn, and Michael Braxton. All three men were pretty young in their 20s. Um, unbelievably, Brown and Vaughn had not left town, so police quickly located them and brought them in. But Michael Braxton had been taken or had taken off to Sarasota, Florida, and he was like, "Deuces, I'm trying to get the hell out of here." At least he had, you know, knew he did something wrong and was like making a run for it. But mm-hmm. um, he still had on the same bloody clothes from the assault when he was arrested. What? Which to me is like bonkers. 
and they sent a police officer down there to pick him up and they extradited him and put him in the back of the car and drove him back up and evidently he slept the entire way back up like that's how concerned so he just like he had was. no concern at all yeah none whatsoever wow super douchey Anyway, all three men quickly lawyered up and were considered mentally competent, and the pl- and they agreed to plead guilty. And this was just basically just going to be a plea bargain type of a case, okay. which meant that the district attorney and the judge and the parties and everybody had to agree upon the punishment for these three men. This was wasn't going to be a jury trial for obvious reasons. The brutality would have been super emotional and inflammatory, so they knew what they had to do. Additionally. South Carolina doctrine was already clear-cut. The three participants were co-conspirators, so the hand of one is the hand of all, according to the doctrine there in South Carolina. So, so like, if, if only one of them had raped her, like, the other two could have yes. been charged with that because they were... Yes, okay. because they were considered they, it's co-conspirators. It's they all three did. Yeah. Gotcha. So they're all going to be judged equally. They're all going to get pretty much the same sentence because they're trying them all together as well, but... There really is no possible defense for a crime that is this gruesome, and all three defendants pretty much threw themselves upon the mercy of the court, which is the smart thing to do, and it sounds as though they had an attorney that was pretty much on his game and knew what to do. And in the podcast, the criminal podcast, they kind of talk to the attorneys, and you can hear them, they're like, you know, this is an awful case, like, what can you do? Like, you have to do your job to defend this person, Mm -hmm. but you know he's guilty because he's admitted it, and these people aren't, they're not denying anything. Elizabeth Daniels lived to tell the tale, so to speak, mm-hmm. and knew who they were, so she could easily point them out. So it's not as if there was any question as to any kind of guilt or innocence on the part of these men. But the defense attorneys worked with the state solicitor, which is their version of the prosecutor, mm-hmm. to establish what they thought was a fair punishment for the trio. Okay? There was absolutely no question of the guilt of these three men. The only question was what was an equitable dissolution of the case as determined by the parties involved and handed down by the judge who was hearing the case. And in this case, there were several judges involved. There was one that would read the um, pre-sentence report of a case, and there was a separate judge who would be doing the sentences. So one would kind of establish and and accept the guilt of the parties, and the other one would actually do the the punishment phase where they determine what should happen to these three men. Okay. um, Because they'd all been tried together. The attorneys and the defendants were all shocked, though, when the second judge who was doing the sentencing actually spoke because he pronounced this the worst rape case he had ever seen, and then he dropped the bomb. The men were to have a choice. They could either have 30 years in prison before possibility of parole, or they could be surgically castrated and serve no time in prison at all. Okay. So... This is a castration case. Mm. And we've talked about chemical castration before, but this was Mm -hmm. actually legitimate surgical castration. Mm -hmm. So the court was so silent at that time that you could have probably heard a pin drop and everyone looked back and forth at one another to try to, (laughs) they're in like complete disbelief to try to figure out what the heck is going on. No one talked, and then all of a sudden everyone was talking at once with their shock and surprise, and the judge had mentioned this during possible sentencing pretrial discussions with the state's attorney, so they kind of weren't that surprised, but they thought he was joking when he had talked about it during yeah. the pretrial hearings, and they were shocked when he actually said it in the court, 
and no one had ever heard of a sentence like this before. This is 1983, right? Right. And of course, the defense attorney immediately gets up and objects on the grounds that the sentence was unconstitutional, cruel and unusual mm-hmm. punishment, right? Mm-hmm. Which is always the same argument when you talk about castration, whether it be chemical or surgical. Right. The men were then immediately removed from the courtroom by the bailiff. Um, the case began generating enormous publicity for obvious reasons. So, Did they make a decision at that time? Are they... I'm going to get to that. Um, ABC, CBS, NBC, New York Times, everyone is covering this case. And can you really imagine what this would have been like before the times of social media? Like if you've got all these major news medias covering this and they've got it on television and in the newspapers and And tiny little Anderson, South Carolina. And the three defense attorneys are initiating the appeals process. And they are up in arms because they really believe that this is this is physical mutilation and no court mm-hmm. should stand for that. Right. Um, but the South Carolina Supreme Court would hear the case next. And there was some confusion as to what surgical castration actually was in the technical sense. So if you talk to people now, they still don't, I think, understand what castration mm-hmm. entails, whether it be surgical or chemical castration. So would the men be able to have sex again? Would they have their balls cut off? Would they have their penis cut off? Both, like what would actually happen? What is surgical castration? And according to medical dictionaries, it means the removal of the testes to stop sex hormone production. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, the balls, essentially. People were still confused though about what the implications were and the details of how this would happen and what it would look like. and. Other people, though, were super stoked. So they're like, this is like a biblical-style punishment, an eye for an eye, because they mutilated this poor woman. And right. it doesn't say, like, what happened to her after that, but you have to think she's got some major physical trauma, damage, psychological damage, emotional mm-hmm. damage. Like, she's, you know, for the rest of her life. Yeah. And she probably had some permanent damage to her reproductive organs oh, I, 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 I from that imagine. as well. Yeah, that, to me, is not even a question. But... Medical experts actually pointed out at the time that castration would not actually prevent someone from having sex Mm -hmm. or stop them from committing sexual violence in the physical sense. Yes. So it was definitely more of a punitive type punishment, though, rather than a psychological deterrent. Some people thought, but other people also thought this is supposed to send a message. This is supposed to send a very strong psychological message to people that are contemplating sexual assault. Um, That's not... Okay, that's what some people said. So, I mean, there's been arguments, I think, back and forth on that. And we can kind of get into this once you know Mm -hmm. we break this down a little bit further. But medical experts say that doing something like a chemical, like a surgical castration would diminish the sex drive because there is reduced testosterone. And it also prevents a man from getting a woman pregnant. But the critics also claim this sentence reinforced the notion that rape was a sexual act and not an act of violence. So mm-hmm. I think that's something that you would kind of mentioned that was like a question, is this really a thing? Mm-hmm. And these violent men could potentially be released with no time served at all. if They just go through with this right. demonstration, so to speak. And then there's the whole issue of rape being sex, an issue of sex or violence. And if you take away the sexual desire, would you also take away the violence? And this has really been an issue that's been very, very long debated within the legal system, within the psychological community, and just within people who follow true crime in general, especially crime of a sexual nature. Mm -hmm. And we talked about chemical castration in other discussions that we've had on the show before. And 
is this a way to prevent crime? Are there other ways to prevent these sorts of crimes in the future without locking people up indefinitely? And I think that is the main purpose behind castration as a punishment for these crimes. It's an extremely hot topic, and it has been even yeah. more so in the news lately. So some people in this case believe that the judge was really trying to kind of showboat here and get some publicity and had some kind of an alternative thing that he was trying to create in this case. But when you look at this guy and the people that talk about him, they say he was very well-renowned. He's still a judge now, and people had given him a lot of positive and glowing reviews, and they said that he was definitely trying to send a message that these types of crimes would not be tolerated at all, which is good. But surprisingly, all three men tried to stop the appeals process and opt to have castration surgery. Really? Yes. You would never think. I, I was shocked to hear that. Yeah. Um, Roscoe Brown actually submitted paperwork asking the courts to immediately authorize castration for him. Hmm. But it was too late. The case had already began to weave its way through the process, and the Supreme Court of South Carolina had already decided they were going to put this on the DACA to hear. And the court found that the sentence was cruel and unusual punishment, and it was heard like in 19, it was heard in 1985. So okay. in, in 1985, they determined that a surgical castration as a form of punishment for a crime was cruel and unusual punishment. Mm -hmm. It was mutilation and is prohibited by Article 1, Section 15 of the Constitution. All three sentences were thrown out, and the cases dropped back down to the lower courts to be resentenced. So the cases, okay. the, the guilt within them was not dropped down for discussion or debate. It was only the sentencing portion that was remanded back to the lower court. Okay. Brown's petition to act ASAP was also denied, so he was trying to circumvent the court system and just say let let me be castrated so i can just get out and be done with it but they also denied his petition hmm. so today chemical castration not surgical castration is allowed as punishment in eight states to be specific california was actually the first state to allow chemical castration but oregon texas wisconsin Cal uh, florida georgia louisiana and montana also allow chemical castration since the mid-1990s, states have allowed or required castration to penalize sexual offenders, chemical, not surgical, though, as a condition of release from custody, but not as a punishment. So there's mm -hmm. sort of a difference in how it's used. Most of them use it as a way to monitor and keep track of and assure that the offenders do not re-offend rather than mm -hmm. this is your punishment for committing this crime. That's what Alabama tried to do last year. They tried to pass that law last year. Yeah, I've got a little blurb about this too. But some states actually allow it for crimes against minors and only for repeat offenders. And the treatment is actually the receipt of MPA, which is a female hormone found in Depravera. Okay. And this is a form of birth control for women. And in men, it actually reduces testosterone to prepubescent levels. So it's supposed to kind of keep them in check, keep them from having these sexual urges, which cause them to commit these violent sexual assaults. California, Florida, and Louisiana can opt for surgical castration too as a treatment option, as well as Texas. And the states that use it say that it works because it prevents further abuse by lowering the urges chemically. Others say it doesn't really work for psychological problems, ones that are primarily psychological in nature, that is. 
And You're saying that they say that surgical castration does work or does not work? No, they're saying that the castration doesn't work if it's primarily a psychological problem, which yeah. is kind of obvious to me, right? Yeah. Um, and then they point out side effects of chemical castration. So essentially, once you get chemical castration, you have the possibility of life-threatening blood clots, serious allergic reactions, possibly unknown side effects as well um, that have not been discovered yet because we really haven't studied this extensively for a long period of time. And then there's- Those a, are some of the same side effects though for women that take birth yes, control. Blood exactly. clots is a big one, especially exactly. women, for women that smoke. So, And they also say that it can increase your risks for certain types of cancer, testicular mm -hmm. cancer, I believe, and a couple of others like prostate cancer, things like that. And then others point back to the prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment in the Eighth Amendment. So mm -hmm. they like a lot of people like to argue against this. And California, like I mentioned earlier, was the first state to allow it in 1996. And obviously this chemical castration is monthly injections. So mm -hmm. it's not just it, one injection. It's every month that you have to take yep. those. And the process is reversed, supposedly, when the injection ceased. Roscoe Brown, Mark Vaughn, and Michael Braxton all started their 30-year prison sentences. And evidently, the sentencing back then was a little bit more lenient. But all three of them, because the sentencing was more lenient as to when they could be eligible for probation, all three were let out early because of South mm -hmm. Carolina parole guidelines. So of that 30-year yeah. sentence, they only served about a third of it, and they got credit for mm -hmm. good time as well. So they were not offered chemical castration as an option? No, that was not okay. an option back then. Um, gotcha. The sentencing guidelines now dictate that the person has to serve 85% of their sentence before they're eligible for parole, but back then you only had to serve a very small portion, and these, mm -hmm. all these men got let out early. So Roscoe Brown and Mark Vaughn got out of prison and went on to lead relatively low-key productive lives without further punishment or brushes with law enforcement. However, Michael Braxton finished his parole in Tennessee, and they allowed him to do this. It's not something that they typically allowed. Usually you have to stay in the state where your parole is, but mm -hmm. they allowed him to go to Tennessee to finish his parole out. And about two years after his release from prison, he raped another woman and was convicted and went back to jail. So he has spent the last 20 years of his life in a Tennessee prison serving out his rape sentence for the second woman that he raped. And interestingly enough, this is also a parole violation in South Carolina, obviously right. being convicted of another crime. So now he gets that tacked onto a sentence too. So what happens is he was released from his 20-year sentence January 20th, 2016, and they immediately revoked his parole for the case in 1983 and he had to go serve out the rest of his sentence. So he's mm -hmm. of the 30-year sentence. And so he's in prison now, back in South Carolina, serving out the remainder of his sentence from 30 years ago, which is really bizarre. It doesn't happen that way very often. Right. And it should, but it doesn't. It should, right. Um, Elizabeth Daniel has since passed away. She died in 2010. It doesn't really mm -hmm. say like what happened, how she died, etc. but she is gone now. And the irony of all this is that if he had done his time originally, he'd be out by now. And, mm -hmm. But he had essentially started over to finish his original sentence. So he had to basically serve his original sentence all over again, which right. is, I think, fitting. Um, he is in Kershaw Correctional Institution at the moment in Kershaw, South Carolina. His release date is May 10th, 2021. 
So clearly, like, perhaps chemical castration would have been, or even surgical castration would have been a good option for that man because he clearly had some sort of sexual violence in his mind or makeup or chemically or whatever. But Mm -hmm. um, as we mentioned earlier, Alabama recently proposed the surgical castration for offenders who violate with kids under 12. They also proposed that the offenders have to pay for it themselves. Is, of course they did. I think is really interesting because it's like, you know, you commit this crime, you should have to pay for your punishment too, I think. I mean, what do you think about Which, that? Which, how many people in prison, though, can afford to pay for that? Well, I think that there's got to be a way to make them work it off. Like doing some sort of labor or like making something or doing license yeah, but plates that or... doesn't seem... Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's prison. Like, that's what you do in prison. So, it like... It, it, it doesn't seem that they were given a separate, like a, another option, like of a payment plan for this. I mean, I, Alabama's penal system is it's a little backwards. A little bit, a little bit. But there were some really interesting um, articles about this particular case in the New York Times and some other magazines. And I just think that people would have reacted to this very differently than they reacted back then today. Because the whole concept of rape sentence versus you know, castration versus 30 years in prison is, is an interesting concept. And studies actually have shown since this was allowed, the first began in the 90s, that it is actually a very effective means of controlling offenders. Chemical castration. Yes. yes. Um, with no removal of organs, not a form of sterilization. So chemical castration with the Depravera shots. My understanding is that surgical castration is not effective. Well... Here's some of the statistics behind this. Okay. So essentially what they use it for is to treat unwanted sexual urges, and sometimes it can be used to treat cancer, this chemical castration, and is generally considered reversible. It's often considered for high-risk sex offenders only in lieu of ongoing supervision. So again, as I Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, this is not a form of punishment for a crime. It's to provide ongoing supervision in states where either there's a shortage of people to be able to maintain or there's some question that the person is definitely going to Mm reoffend. So the pros of having something like this as a sort of a supervisional tool in your back pocket is studies do show that this is effective at reducing libido. There is a very dramatic reduction in testosterone. They can still have sex, but the desire is dramatically reduced. And studies show that rates of reoffending drop dramatically. Some say Mm -hmm. that the rates of recidivism are 2% in people that have been chemically castrated. And dropping testosterone is also going to have an effect on aggression, which could also curb violent tendencies as well. Exactly. And the rates of recidivism for people without chemical castration are at about 40%. Yeah. So the cost is also much lower, they say, that it costs about $40,000 total to practice chemical castration on the average prisoner coming out which is 50% less than the actual traditional supervision that's required. And they, um, this actually See, makes... See, that's what's backward about Alabama. Sorry to interrupt you, but sure. that just made me, like, that kind of bothers me because that's, so, that is something, that's a, that's a fee that the state takes on. That's part of the taxes that we pay as residents of Alabama to cover the costs of 
probation and parole for these people when they get out of prison. But then if you say, well, you have to cover that $40,000 all by yourself, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Don't like, I know that Alabama is not the one making that argument of like, it's cheaper, but like, I could see the state making that argument of like, well, it's cheaper to do chemical castration than it would be to monitor them long term, but they're not offsetting the cost because they're just wiping away their own cost and putting it on the prisoner anyway. Right. Well, when you consider on. what the average salary is for a person in the U.S.? No, 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 I know. It's, but I'm saying That's what like, they're looking at, most essentially. Right. Not like those backside factors that you're talking about. Right, Which but you can't is, make the argument back. that it is yeah. an offsetting cost right. if the state is going to cover the cost of you know, the people that are monitoring these prisoners when they get out of prison. And then you, you can't say, well, we offset that by making the prisoner pay for their surgery. Like, you can't, you can't say that. Right. But anyway, well, that's not what you're saying. I think it, as but, well that studies show that it makes most people that go through the process productive. So before they would be mm -hmm. more of an unproductive type of a criminal who was not necessarily able to be released in many instances. Now it's creating mm -hmm. these people, making them more productive so they can go out and work and pay taxes, etc. Right. is what the thought is. Yeah. Um, the cons, though, for this sort of a, a treatment is, although most cases are reversible when they stop the Deprovera shots, side effects can be long-term or permanent. There's also a greater chance for bone density loss uh, the longer it's used. And with some criminals, it actually doesn't hamper sexual urges at all. And it allows hmm. sexual offenders to hide because they think, oh, well, this person's had the Depravera shot, they're fine, and they're pretending, and they go out and reoffend. So and they're there's less that, likely to check up on them or something. Yeah, so there's that small mm -hmm. number that would actually, it wouldn't be effective for, that could fake it, they say. Mm -hmm. And other people claim that this exerts kind of a mind control, which violates basic human rights and choices and freedoms that you're mm -hmm. assured as a citizen of the U.S., although some people would also argue that as a prisoner and a sexual offender or you commit a felony crime that you lose your rights of citizenship right yeah Which, this is hard because it's gonna sound like i'm taking the side of a convicted rapist but and i'm not but for anybody for their crime once you serve that time as as your punishment that is your punishment and f to make somebody continue to come in monthly to get medical, um, to get these shots, that's kind of extending or prolonging that kind of punishment. And that's, that's kind of unfair. Now, I'm, I, like, I understand that that's very touchy the, that I said that, but, I, and I'm not trying to take the side of, of anybody convicted of sexual assault by any, by any means, but... When you look at it just from a punishment standpoint, you're letting them out of prison, but you're saying you have to come in and, and you have to be you have to be given forced medication every month in order to stay out of prison, but even though you've already served your prison term. Indefinite. It's only for the period of their parole. It's not forever. Okay, is my understanding. But okay. To me, that doesn't make sense either because so when the parole's over, they won't have any more sexual urges. Like, I don't get I that. guess they're just saying it's like it's not our problem anymore. I guess. But they're passing the buck. It's. Or maybe I, they're hoping the prisoner will continue to like the treatments on their own. Maybe. But what do we do with these guys? That's the bottom line. They're in prison. 
Do we just lock mm-hmm. them up and throw away the key? Is there any way to redeem these criminals? Is there any way we can create something to help them get out and be productive members of society? Or are they done for? They got to stay in prison and be locked up for the rest of their lives. Well, that's, and that's the other side of it is because my understanding is the only thing that does work that is effective in reducing the urge um, and reducing the rate of recidivism for people convicted of sexual assault is this chemical castration. So if it's the, it seems to be the only effective treatment, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think I agree with that. I don't know. A 40% reoffending rate seems very, very high. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, it does. The other thing, I, this, this is where I kind of started to interrupt you. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about the judge and saying that it was clear he wanted to send a message as it like that this would be a punishment for other offenders. I, I kind of disagree with that, but I guess that's like a disagreement on the theory of sentencing structure, because to me, the sentencing should be for the person who committed the crime. It shouldn't be as a deterrent to anybody that's going to commit that same crime. Like it, you shouldn't send a message with that. You should say, this is your crime that you committed. This is your punishment. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like for him to send a message and be like, well, I want to send a message and make this public and get notoriety for this because I'm going to be this tough on the tough on rape judge. And I want everybody out there to know that they can't get away with this in my court or whatever. That's not fair to the people that you're actually sentencing. Yeah. Well, and all three of the defendants were black men as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that because they represent a higher portion of the prison population versus their uh, makeup in the general population that it unfairly penalizes them as well Mm -hmm. because they're more highly represented than any other race in the prison system. Yeah, absolutely. So it ends up being a racial issue Mm -hmm. as well. Yep. Um, Which is why I don't think this case would have played out the same today as it did back then. I don't think this would have been proposed today. Yeah, I mean, it's it I don't know. It kind of just seems like this like this the option for sentencing was kind of just put out there as like a shock value thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, the like case it was, was shocking. Like, I think it was like the most brutal, the most gruesome case that came out of this very small world's friendliest city or whatever and people were mm-hmm. shocked. And I think this right. is representative of the shock that they felt when they heard this case. Is it though? Do you feel? Do you feel like that's representative? Like that's a representative punishment? Um, if you look, and again, this is South, and a lot of the the legal process there is biblical in nature, and mm-hmm. I think that's sort of an eye for an eye concept sounds right up their alley. Like they would look at it and see that as just. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, being from the North, right? We don't quite have that same viewpoint, but I can see where they would. S- look at this case and come up with that as an equitable and fair punishment because that was an excellent sidestep by the way on your part these men (laughs) these men are not being you know they're they're not gonna they're still gonna be able to have sex they just won't be able Mm -hmm. to have children and they're it's interesting it's just there's so many different like points for and against this like i can't say that it's something that i would pass down personally as a punishment if i was a judge Mm mm-hmm I would try to find some. Else. I, I'm not sure I see any argument for surgical castration as a sentence. 
I think that it kind Chronicle of harkens to but... a very, very brutal, very, very um, angry sort of a portion of the population that would agree with something like that in cases of extreme right. and brutal sexual, sexually violent acts. I definitely get the anger and like wanting to be like, well, this is what you deserve. If this is what you did to somebody else, this is what you deserve. Yeah. I get that anger. Yeah. I'm just not sure as a judicial punishment. That it's sound. There's yeah. any kind of sound reason behind it. And I agree. And then I just don't understand as well, like how three, three men could all think this is okay. Like I, I can see one like man that group think mentality. I can see one man doing something like that and being like, okay. And just kind of losing themselves in the insanity of the whole thing. But three men and not a single one steps up to say, this is wrong. Yeah. But that happens all the time. I mean, that you go to a fraternity party and you see that all the time. That's that group think mentality of one person may or may not want to do it, but at some point, like they get pressured into it or they get talked into it, or maybe they do want to do it. I don't know. I don't know what goes through people's minds when they do something like this, but I, I'm not surprised at all that three men um, did, did this. Yeah. And it's just horrific to me. Like the case in general yeah, that you would do that to another human being is just, awful just absolutely yeah. awful i mean it's bad enough to rape somebody but to do all that other stuff just seems like way over the top and extremely barbaric to me yeah so yeah that's in any really case horrific i'm gonna wrap that portion of it up and i have like a little article that i want to end on that i thought was really super weird and interesting because i just want to lighten it up a little bit after such a brutal case all right but yeah. um <laughs> So there's these things called zombie cicadas. Have you heard about these? I heard of cicadas. So evidently, I found this article. Um, it's pretty interesting. But we have the murder hornets. We have the mosquito-borne illnesses, all that kind of stuff. But now they have these zombie cicadas. Is it cicadas? Is that how you say it? Yeah, and cicadas. These guys are pretty bizarre. So they've been spotted in West Virginia. And they're pretty harmless to humans at this point. But how they get to be a zombie cicada and how they infect other cicadas is pretty crazy. So these zombie cicadas are actually infected with a fungus. It's called Massapora that actually eats away at their mind and body. <gasps> this isn't that thing that's set in that video game, is it? I don't think so. Does this, does this fungus come from like Africa or South America or something? Well, let me kind of read this portion of it, but there's a study on pathogens that compares the transmission of Massapora, known as the active host transmission, which is AHT, to rabies. So AHT is a form of biological puppetry where the pathogen manipulates the behavior of the powerless host. So when a male cicada becomes infected with this fungus, it starts to mimic the wing flicking behaviors that typically are exclusive to female cicadas in the kind of meat oh, mating process. Okay. And uh -huh. other male cicadas are kind of lured in by these males that are infected with the fungus and they think it's a female cicada wanting to mate. So because cicadas are not sexually dimorphic, it's hard to distinguish between a male or a female. So yeah. they both look the same. So there's no yeah. obvious signs on the outside. But the interested cicada flocks to the infected cicada to mate, and the infected cicada will attempt to transfer the fungus over to its peer. And then the Massosopora will eat away at the cicada's abdomen from the inside, filling it up with yellow fungal spores. 
Not only will the zombie-like cicada now lose half its body to this ferocious fungus, but it will be brainwashed and tricked into performing female mating rituals in order to continue spreading the virus. Hmm. So it's essentially a living death. The cicada will continue to exist, but it's mutated in this mutated life form. So the spores that form in each cicada's abdomen can be dropped onto other cicadas to further transmit the disease. And they've only seen this in cicadas that only yeah, come around so, every well, like so 20 years or something. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of research on this super bizarre fungal infection. But so it's hard for scientists to kind of figure this out, especially since certain cicadas live underground for periods of 13 to 17 years. Yeah. And they're really it's still unknown how Masopora originated. But, like, this sounds bonkers. Like, how long before this sort of thing starts transmitting itself into other animals? So, there's this video game, and my friend's husband was, like, it's it's this new video game that everybody's playing. I don't really do video games, but it's it's based on this kind of similar idea to what you're talking about. There's, like, this fungus that... Um, the spores get into right now it really does happen in ants and the spores get into the ants and it basically makes them kill themselves and so they end up dying they don't turn into zombies or whatever but the idea behind this video game is that it's infected humans and it does turn them into zombies and so that's basically what is happening with like the cicada thing i mean that's basically that's just like when is this going to happen to humans and (laughs) it's so crazy like to me i read that i was like oh my god this is so bonkers like and then these ones live underground for like 13 to 17 yeah. years, like even and crazier. this is the summer cicadas are coming back. Like, I, I mean, I know it's right? like that site. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my dog, not the one I currently have, but Layla, my last dog, she um, one time caught a cicada in her mouth and it freaked her out because, you know, they're oh really God. loud. Ew. <laughs> they're huge and they're really loud. And she freaked out. It was kind of funny. But um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen. We just had an extremely violent storm this week. Extremely we just had one today. Violent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had that despacho thing or despacho, whatever it is. I don't know what you call it, but there were 100 mile per hour winds. Yeah. Like, I went running yesterday and like literally every street has trees like either struck by lightning or yeah. they've been blown over. Iowa is like was like decimated because uh, like Cedar Rapids is they might not get power for another week in Cedar yeah, Rapids. It was bonkers. We lost power for about four hours. Yeah. And then some of the houses on our streets are still, still don't have power. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a BP like half a mile from my house. It doesn't have power. Like just the doors are open, but there's no lights and no gas. And jeez, it, it, yeah, was, it was like a once in a lifetime, really weird freak of nature storm that hit the Midwest. And it's like the middle of the summer, which is even more crazy to me. Cause like I come from the Pacific Northwest and I'm used to like hurricane gales, like gusts, mm-hmm. winds that are very, very strong, torrential downpours, things like that. But to have this happen in the middle of the summer. Oh, see, that's when I'm used to storms. This has been like, that's a, when tornadoes happen. Yeah. It's been an exceptionally um, strange summer here. Do you guys I get thought, tornadoes up there? Yes. Oh, I oh. thought, oh wait, in Pacific Northwest? No, where you are now. Yes, we do get tornadoes. There was a tornado um, warning in effect when this whole thing went down, and that's what we we thought was going on. We thought there was a tornado outside because the tornado sirens were going off. Have you ever been through a tornado? No. Um, But we were looking out the window, and all of a sudden, it was, like, just kind of almost, like, foggy, but, Mm -hmm. like, bright. Mm-hmm. It was the weirdest sensation. Like you could hear the wind slamming up against the side of the house. You could hear the rain starting to come down, but the air outside was like 
misty, foggy, hmm. and it was like almost like glowing yellow. Oh yeah, the sky turned green. Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, what is happening? Do we need to go down to the basement? And then the power went out. Yeah, but the, you could still hear this, the sirens wailing outside. It was just, it was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I'm just glad that my friends and family are safe. I feel bad for the people that are suffering from the most damage from mm-hmm. that because it's like you know we're already dealing with all these other factors right. going on outside right now in the world. And to have yeah. something like that happen has got to be devastating. And especially when I was walking and running yesterday, you could see there were a lot of trees that had been knocked over, some onto cars, some onto houses. Mm. And it's just, there's a lot of damage. Yeah. So um, I, I wish all the best for those folks out there and, and hope that they're able to like repair and get things situated again after all those awful storms. Yeah. We're just all trying to make it through 2020, man. Seriously. Like, I don't even (laughs) want to say, hey, what else could happen? Because stuff is happening. I don't even have the imagination for for what else could happen. I mean. Zombie circadas? For real. Yeah. (laughs) That's happening, too. Um, Anyway, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up now. Unless you have anything else you want to add, Darcy. No, I don't. Stay safe out there, guys. Seriously. So this is the point where we say so long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, whatever, keep them to yourself because we don't want to hear it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why I throw in every once in a while. Every, every once in a while, like I get settled and I'm like, all right, we're just doing the regular thing. I'm getting ready to say the social media. And then you just and then, no. throw me Got to keep people on their toes. <laughs> keep, keep the folks on their toes. Um, send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys and social media, Darcy. We are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So you can also contact us there and we post um, the links to our notes and the episodes and pictures and all that good stuff there as well. So I don't think I have any pictures of um, this particular case because yeah. when I went to do the research, because it was 1983, there's just right. not a lot of, I believe there's some pictures of the defendants, but they're like, they're not, super good quality they're kind mm-hmm. of in a distance as they were walking out of the courthouse so i'll take a look and see what i can find if not i will definitely post some pictures of those zombie cicadas yeah like at i don't least. know if i want to see those i don't like bugs <laughs> and please join us again next week when we talk more about weird wacky and wild cases good night podcast peeps stay safe keep it real and always live your very best life bye bye guys